Thank you very much, Steve. It's good to be had. Uh, first of all, I'll follow the cue of that last song and give thanks. And I really want to say thank you to Fitzroy for... A um, is about 23 years ago, and uh, it has been a wonderful 23 years, and it's a, a special pleasure for me today to stand here with, with our seven children with us all. I don't know when that last happened. It was some years ago. In fact, it probably wasn't seven. And thank you for your interest and your concern in bringing up what I call our three big children for Peter, Matthew, and Naomi, and it's an exciting time for us as we look forward to Peter and Katie's wedding next week. And I want to say thank you uh, to Fitzroy and for, for many people who aren't here as well for all that you've done for our family. And thank you for your support of our work in South Africa. Thanks for your prayer, for your interest, for your concern, the warm, meaningful handshakes when I come in and to say hello to people that I haven't seen for a long time. It's a real pleasure to come. So thank you, a very sincere thank you very much. Thank you too for your financial support. And if you want to see a particular token of that at the moment, we have six of us driving around most of the time, which is hard in a car, and Fitzroy have stamped up and we have been able to hire one of those seven-seater people carrier things. It's parked outside at the back if you want to have a look at it. But thank you very much for your practical support as well over the years. We really do appreciate it, and we love coming back here. Unfortunately, we can't be here that often. We're here today, and I think, am I right, Sheena, we'll be here, God willing, next weekend as well. So if I don't catch you this weekend, uh, we'll catch you maybe next weekend. But thank you very much for all that you have done and all that you continue to do for us. Thank you, Fitzroy. And thank you, Steve, too, for the invitation to come along here today. As I have got older, which I have done fairly consistently now for 57 years, it's one of the things I've been most successful at, actually. Um, as I've got older, I realize that in life, actually, there's a whole lot of things that don't actually matter. It doesn't really matter whether you have Weetabix or cornflakes in the morning. Seems like a big decision at the time, but it's not that important. It doesn't really matter whether you go to K KFC or McDonald's. Both will kill you in the end. Um, uh, it doesn't actually really matter whether you support Ireland or the Springboks, though I find that one hard to say. I'm still supporting Ireland. I don't know why, but I am. Um, there are a lot of things in life that don't matter, but there's actually one thing. I think there's one thing that really does matter when you come down to it. There's... there's one decision you will make that will affect one way or the other the rest of your life. And that decision is, what are we going to say? What are we, how are we going to react when God makes his appeal to us? The passage this morning talked about that. It says that about God making his appeal through us. God makes an appeal. Now, I think we have to first of all stand back and, uh, and think, what's this mean? Here we have the creator and sustainer of the universe. Now, get your head around that. This is, this is power big time. The creator and the sustainer of the universe is making an appeal. And he's making this appeal to the likes of you and me. Now, I don't know if you get the absurdity of that. 
that the creator and the sustainer of the universe is making an appeal to you. And he's making an appeal to me. It's like Bill Gates coming in here and saying his son's going on a school trip and making an appeal to us to support him. It's absurd. And yet that is the absurdity of the good news. The absurdity of the gospel is that there's a God who's not a God out there who created things, sustains things, and he's sort of lost interest in us. There's a God who created all things, who sustained all things, and he's making an appeal to the likes of you and me. Not just here in Fitzroy, but all around the world. He is making that appeal. And his appeal, I think, was summed up very well by Jesus when he was here. In two words, what's two words in English anyway? He said, follow me. That's the appeal that we're all here or are hearing. And our response to that appeal is the most important thing that any of us will ever do in our entire life. There were a couple of people in the, the Bible who heard that appeal. One day, there was a man who was rich. We knew he was rich. We knew he was young. We knew he was a very, very religious man. Jesus made the appeal to him. He didn't use the words, follow me. He made the appeal and said, look, go and sell everything that you have and give it away to the poor. Because that was the thing that the man was following. Jesus said, sell it and come and follow me. And it says that man went away sad. Why? Because he decided that day that when God made his appeal to him very directly, he decided, no, I'm not going to follow it was a very sad day for him. There was another day, there was a man, we don't know whether he was old or young, he was also very wealthy. And he was the scum of the earth, let's be frank. Name was Zacchaeus, he was just a little guy. And nobody spoke to Zacchaeus, nobody liked Zacchaeus. He was stinking rich, but in everybody's eyes he was basically stinking first of all and rich second. And God made a, Jesus made the same appeal to him and said, look, come and follow me. And Zacchaeus that day, he decided that although he wasn't a religious guy, he was actually going to follow Jesus. It turned his business empire upside down. His family finances never recovered from it because he repaid everybody he'd stolen from more than he'd given them and he'd stolen a lot. It was never the same again. And he went away happy because he decided to follow Jesus. Today, coming down the Malone Road, we were following a green Volkswagen Golf. Coming down from Balmoral Avenue, down past Osborne. But, you know, we weren't actually following it because the Golf turned off at Strandmillis Road and I didn't. We just happened to be going in the same direction for a time. But I wasn't really following the Golf. When he went another way, I decided I wanted to go my way. And I went on down the Malone Road. And you know, sometimes we can think that following Jesus is a bit like that. We happen to be going in the same direction. And as long as he keeps going in the direction that you want to go, well, then you're following him. But whenever Jesus goes off a different direction than the one you want, well, you go your own way, don't you? Well, that's not actually following. Following means you go that way because Jesus wants to go that way. Not because you, just because you think it's the right way. In fact, if you think you should turn left, but Jesus thinks you should turn right, you go right anyway. That's what following actually means. And that is the big decision that we all need to make in our life, is are we going to follow Jesus or are we not going to? That is God's appeal to us 
Jesus says, follow me. And that is the the challenge. Those are the words of comfort that everybody needs to hear. Everybody in Fitzroy, everybody in the Holy Lands. I see you're going to have seven days of summer in the Holy Lands. I wish you'd told me, Steve, which seven days there were so that we could have been here for them. Um, You're going to have seven days of reaching out to your community. People in our community need to know those words as well. They need to hear Jesus not just through some great argument that you make or that I make, but actually to hear him personally say to them, follow me. I don't know about you sitting here, but I think we hear that voice. Nobody else knows when we hear it. Sometimes it comes in a great sermon that Steve's preaching. Sometimes it comes when you're out in a walk. Sometimes it comes when you're down and despairing. God says to you, follow me. He puts it into language that means something to you, and you know you've heard it. And the other thing is you know what your answer is. You're the only person who does know what your answer is. But you know what your answer is when he says, follow me. Do you do it or don't you? On the outside, it might look like you didn't do it, but you know actually you did. And the outside, it might look like you did do it. You go to church every, every Sunday, but on the inside, you know you're not. You're doing something else. So our response, we know it. God is speaking to people every day and he's saying to them, follow me. And our response is the most important thing. There was a guy who lived in, well, he lived in our house for a little while, Farouz from Iran. And uh, some of you might know Farouz or remember Farouz. Farouz was from Iran, from a totally Muslim background. He had had virtually no contact with Christianity at all. He had one person he knew who was a a Christian of some sort, and he'd once been into a Christian church. Um, And one night, he had a dream. And in the dream, Jesus appeared to him and said those words, follow me. And Farouz was deeply shocked. The next night, Farouz, I think it was the next night, had the same dream. Jesus appeared to him and said, follow me. And I think it was after those two occasions, Farouz did exactly that. He said, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. Didn't know a whole lot. In fact, he knew hardly anything. But he heard that voice that said, follow me, and he decided to do it. Now, in his case, that meant there was one of those things against him that anybody who killed him was going straight to glory. Uh, He had to leave his country. He had to leave his family. He never saw his father again, never spoke to him again. He came to Northern Ireland, and now he's living in America. He heard the voice saying, follow me, and he did it. It cost him a lot, and yet he gained everything. Farouz had no no, um, complaints about it at all. And that's the thing is we hear that voice, and it is the most important thing that the people around us will hear that voice saying, follow me. It's Jesus' responsibility to say those words. But... Our passage goes on to say something that's even more amazing. Not only does God appeal to us, but God appeals through us. Now, you look, you look a reasonable bunch, to be honest, but I look at myself and I say, why? You know? Why is God using me to appeal to the world? Why is he working through me And why is he, to be honest, why is he working through you to appeal to the world? You're not the most promising bunch on earth. 
Here is the almighty creator, sustainer of everything, and he is appealing to the world through us, through you and me. And that is really what our work in South Africa is about. And it's actually what your work here is about too, if you don't mind me saying so. It's being those people that God can use to appeal to the world. Yes, he uses our words. Yes, he uses our actions. Yes, he uses your home. Yes, he uses your marriage, your family. He uses all of those things. But our goal in life is to be those people that God can use to make his appeal to the world. We see it in lots and lots of different ways. Um, uh, the Blakes aren't here today, I think, but one of the uh, memories I will have of when Chris and Mo were with us, I think it was last July. Uh, oh, we had a wonderful time last July. And, uh, the, the Zulu music and, and Chris and, and Richard and Mo and Joe we had a wonderful time. It was very exciting. You know, when you see the, the nurse manager of the hospital dancing up the ward and things, it was a great time. But we had a little keyboard that uh, Chris took into the, to the hospital to play. And after one of the performances, if I can call it that, in the hospital, the keyboard was sitting there. This little girl of probably seven or eight comes up to the little electric keyboard and she starts to play two notes. And it, I'm not musical. It was two notes together and two notes together generally don't work very well. It's sort of a jarring sound. That's not a technical musical term, but that's what it was. It was this horrible jar, and she kept on rhythmically pressing these two notes. Well, I would just about had, I mean, I, I couldn't cope with that any longer. So I was about to go and very nicely suggest that she stopped doing it or possibly switched off the keyboard so that we couldn't hear her. Chris didn't. Uh, and this is something I think only Chris could do. Chris came up, and he literally put his arms around the girl as she was playing the two notes on the keyboard. And Chris, in the spur of the moment, made up a tune. I don't know how he did it. He played a tune that those two not notes were an integral part of. So instead of having two jarring notes, we had this lovely tune. I don't know what the tune was. That lovely tune. And this girl is standing there, and she is as pleased as punch. There she is, playing this lovely tune with this man, a professional musician. And in that gesture, in that action, Chris was giving God the opportunity, dare I say it like that, giving God the opportunity to speak to that little girl of eight or nine. I say that was a lasting memory. He was somebody through whom God could make his appeal to that little girl of eight or nine. Now, I don't know where she is now. I don't know what's happened to her, but I know she will never in her life forget that moment when this funny white man came and put his arms around her and made her two discordant notes into a tune. She will never forget that. Chris was working to give God the opportunity to make his appeal to that little girl. It's his responsibility to say the words to that little girl. But Chris gave the opportunity. It would be the day you can watch toys, one of our workers, in, and she's got a whole lot of, you know, the centers of the toilet rolls, and she's making lions out of them with the children. They've never seen anything like that. They're wildly excited 
They're doing their crafts, they're cutting things up, sticking paper on, and they're making little lions out of the center of it. I should have brought one to let you see it, but they're doing that. What's she doing? She is saying to these children, here, you matter, I care for you. She's giving God an opportunity for him to say to the children, follow me. It's somebody in with children reading a story and making the whole room come alive with that story. A story, normally a story out of the Bible. And even though I don't know much Zulu, you can always understand the story from the way it's being told. The children are coming alive because they see somebody who actually cares. Quite often our children will come into hospital and they'll make a bit of a recovery, go home again... And then because of the conditions in the home, they will deteriorate again, come back into hospital. Well, who is it that remembers them, remembers their name, remembers their... It tends to be our staff because they spend so much time with them. They remember. They go away, they come back again. It will be toys in Pumi, Klingiwe. They are there and they greet the child. Let the child know that he or she is loved and cared for. This is all about God making his appeal God's speaking to these children through us. That is our job here. Just to bring it home again, to to say a a public thank you to Muriel and all that she did for us. To see her working with our staff and working with the children. Janet Willis, she here. We've had a whole string of um, Fitzroy visitors and there's another one sitting right down at the back there. We're looking forward to to you joining us as well. People coming to do something and to show our staff, to show the staff in the hospital, to show the children that there is a God who loves them. And for them to be able to hear God's word, God's voice saying, follow me. Yes, God appeals to us. God appeals through us. But also it's important to see uh, another principle of scripture And that's where I got this title from. I I, I thought I was getting it from Eugene Peterson's book. Uh, It's actually a long obedience in the same direction. Uh, It's a title of the book, but it actually comes from Nietzsche. Now, I have never, ever quoted Nietzsche knowingly before. A long obedience in the same direction or the one direction. See, none of what I'm talking about, and actually none of what you're doing here, is all about a flash in the pan. I remember one time, I think I'm right in saying, the church has been here for something like 180 years, and it's had six ministers, and the average is something like 30 years, or whatever it is. It's a long time, and I mean, Steve's only getting going here. It's about a long obedience in the one direction. In our hospital and with the children, it's about being there day after day after day after day. And in fact, it's really about being there year after year. And we're just seeing, I think last time I was here a year ago, we spoke about it as well. Just seeing the the impact of the work is really starting to come because we've been there six or seven years and people are saying, oh, you're serious. So it's after you've been doing something people can see. It's a long and it's a consistent obedience. Just quote you Nietzsche. Nietzsche is not a well-known evangelical, uh, uh, I would suggest. But here's what he said. And what struck me was he says here what I had observed people around us, non-Christian people that we work amongst and what their reaction was. 
He says, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be long obedience in the same direction. There thereby results and has always resulted in the long run something which has made life worth living. What we find is that the people around us recognize that the thing that goes on in the long term that is consistent is the thing that actually matters. People are interested in what happens in the long term. Not just are you there one moment and are you gone the next moment. It's all about the pattern of your life. It's all about that horrible word lifestyle. Christianity is a lifestyle religion. That that may make it a bit more modern. It's You don't buy it on the Lisburn Road, by the way, but it's a lifestyle religion. It's what's your lifestyle like? How are you living consistently over time? And also, how does Monday compare with Sunday? How does what you do compare with what you say? It's that consistency that actually bears fruit. And we're starting to see that in our work. A couple of weeks ago, one of the social workers at Gray's Hospital uh, got in touch with me and said, oh, will you come and see me? And I went to see her. She said, there's a little girl, an 11-year-old girl in the intensive care unit. She was in the adult intensive care, so we would never have seen her. She said, little girl, she was involved in a shooting. Her grandparents were murdered in front of her. Her mother was shot. And this little girl of 11 was shot seriously in the stomach as well. She's in intensive care. Her mother isn't coming to visit her. Would you come and arrange for somebody to come and visit her? So in Pumi, who was working in the hospital, I arranged for her to go into intensive care. And intensive care with us is a bit like intensive care here. It's all those bleeping machines and all those tubes and all that sort of stuff. And there's this little girl lying there. She had a tracheotomy. She couldn't speak. And she was sort of conscious but not very conscious she could blink her eyes to respond and so I introduced Mpumi and Pumi came and sat down beside her and while she was in intensive care she went along she talked to her she told her stories she did that while she was in intensive care now we were invited Mpumi was invited to come into that situation and generally people are not invited into intensive care Mpumi is barely literate She has no qualifications of any sort whatsoever. But her work was recognized by the medical professionals who are a fairly snooty lot at times. I think James Rollerford, you wouldn't mind me saying so. And and Naomi too. They're a bit sort of protective of their turf. Uh, But they recognized the value of what she was doing and invited Impumi in to intensive care to be with that child. And then the child got onto the general ward and just the day before I came home, I went and there was a Pumi sitting beside the girl's um, bed. She had the tracheotomy out. She had a lovely, bright, shining smile and had developed this relationship with Mpumi. It was the consistency of being Mpumi being there week after week, day after day, that meant then people recognized it just as Nietzsche recognized it. It's where we're going in the long term that will really count. My challenge to you today, my word of encouragement to you today, would be those three points. First of all, what is our reaction when we hear those words, follow me? And it's a bit like what's going to happen, God willing, next Saturday with Katie and Peter. On next Saturday, I'm hoping next Saturday they both say, I will or I do, or whatever it is. We're certainly gearing it up for that outcome. Um, On the day, they will say, 
I will. But if you think that's marriage, well, then speak to somebody who's been married. (laughs) Actually, it's every day you say, I will. It's every day of your married life. And following Jesus is like that. We hear a voice and there's a point where we say, yes, I'm going ahead in that direction. But every day from there onward, we continue have to hear, hear that voice and to follow that. Follow it when you hear a voice that says, cheat on your taxes. Everybody else does it. Nobody will find out. Why don't you do it? And hear God's voice that says, no, I don't care what everybody else is doing. Follow me. It says, follow me when your boyfriend or girlfriend says, come, let's go to bed. Everybody does it. It happens within 90 seconds on friends. You're terribly old-fashioned. And to hear the voice that says, no, I'm going to follow. That's what actually following means. It's doing the thing that the people around you don't do do. And that's what being a follower of Jesus means. So I would encourage you, first of all, to hear that appeal from God day by day and do what God wants you to do. Second is to be someone through whom God makes his appeal. With whoever it is that you meet, wherever you find yourself, to do what God tells you to do. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, we've had a bad time with cars. I reversed one into a tree. And a week later, Sheena was coming out of Gray's in the car park and bumped a car behind her. And of course, being Sheena, she had to choose a very expensive Mercedes-Benz to to bump into, a white one. Uh, Anyway, there was nobody around, nobody in the car park. She didn't know how the car uh, belonged to, so she heaved a sigh of relief and sped off in the opposite direction. No, she didn't. She wrote a note and put the note in the car and saying, you know, sorry, I bumped your car. Here's my telephone number. And the doc- it turned out it was a doctor. And the doctor couldn't believe that somebody had done that. She kept on saying, I can't believe how honest talking to me my, your wife was. And she took the car down to the panel beater to the repair shop. And I was then talk- I was paying the bill. We were paying the bill. So I was talking to the guy in the repair shop. And he talked as if this had never happened in the history of panel beating worldwide. <laughs> but you see, that was us being consistent. Well, in this case, Sheena being consistent. And confronting these people with something that was different. And allowing God to make his appeal through unfortunate circumstances so I say to you can God make his appeal to you this week sorry his appeal to the world this week through you whoever you are and wherever you are and the third point I would just emphasize again it's not what you do on the spur of the moment just it's consistency you may have noticed that Ireland were beaten yet again by New Zealand. It's 107 years Ireland has been playing New Zealand, and we've never won. There's a consistency about the All Blacks performance, you have to admit, which is very, very impressive. We nearly, we nearly drew, that was as good as we got, but there's a consistency about it, and I don't mean you have to do it for 107 years, but what's this pattern that you're showing to people around you? Is it consistent Sunday through to Saturday? 
Is it consistent from your 15 to your 105? Is it consistent when things are going well and whenever you're under pressure or do you snap? Is it consistent in your life? Are you consistently following? Is it, as Nietzsche said, a long obedience in the same direction? Let's pray. Father, we come to you because you have come to us. You have made your appeal to us. Father, we pray that we would hear that appeal, that we'd hear those words again today, follow me. And help us, Father, to mean it, to commit to it, that we will follow you even when you go to a direction that we don't want to go even when we can't see the point of it, even when it looks as if it might be wrong to us, help us to hear your words and to obey them. Help us to be consistently presenting your good news in what we say and what we do to the world around us, that we might be those through whom you can appeal to the world. And Lord, we pray that in our lives, you would help us to be consistent. Father, we look around here, I look around here, and I can see some people, and there is a depth of experience. There there has been a consistency over years, indeed over decades, a consistency, Lord, and we thank you for them. We pray for those of us who are a little bit younger that you would help us to press on to develop that consistency. And Father, we pray for those who are really just starting out in life, that they would know what it is to start out in that long obedience, not distracted by the things that don't matter, but distracted by you, absolutely filled with you and what you want them to do, that they would follow you. We think of the young people who have been various places this summer, who are going various places. Lord, we ask that they would hear your voice and that they would be obedient in their response as they start along obedience in the same direction. And Father, we ask all of this because we want you to be glorified. We want you to be the person that people look to because that's when the world works. That's when people become who they should be when they're in a right relationship with you. And that's what we want to see in our neighborhood, in our countries. Amen.